Hey, what's happening, everybody? You're listening to another episode of the Super Mercado Brothers Video Game Music Podcast. What's up? Thanks so much for joining us. This is the podcast where we share and discuss the very best in video game music. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. It's time once again for another Patreon-suggested episode. We love doing these, and uh, mm-hmm. it's a great reminder to um, all of our listeners, and especially all of our incredible supporters on Patreon, uh, that we are so grateful for each and every one of you. We couldn't do this show without you. Uh, Absolutely. And these episodes are our way of showing our thanks to our incredible listeners. And they also happen to be great ideas that many yeah, times a topic we like this wouldn't is, think of. I think uh, a game like this is something that I could imagine us doing anyway. You know, yeah. this is Final Fantasy fifteen. And uh, this is a series that we've lauded many times throughout the history of this podcast. And we've played so many uh, entries yeah, on the podcast. But the thing about the Final Fantasy series is there's just so many games. It's difficult to spotlight on all of them. And there's also what's interesting over the the course of the history of the series. There's many different composers, and I sort of think of the Final Fantasy games musically as kind of having these distinct eras. And I would say the the current era that we've all been living in is the era of Yoko Shimomura, who is one of the most legendary composers in all of games. Most people might know her from Street Fighter II's soundtrack as well as the Kingdom Hearts series. So many great series, a lot of great music she's done over the years. Everything but one track on our playlist today was composed, to my knowledge, by Yoko Shimomura. And so it's going to be cool to hear her take on this series. It's about a year exactly since we spotlighted on Final Fantasy XIV. Wow, that was already back in September of 2020. So this this past year has really flown by. So yes, I'm really excited to dive into this music. It's a really good score. I'm a big fan of it. Uh, I think I might like it more than XIV, to be honest, just based on my first... Uh, kind of playthrough of the score. So excited to get your thoughts today, Will. Well, and the interesting thing about the Final Fantasy series, uh, I mean, I, I'm sure this series really needs no introduction to anyone who's even has a cursory knowledge of video games, but it's one of the longest running franchises in the history of gaming. But what's interesting about Final Fantasy, and I think something that's been very influential to other games, is that each title sort of presents its own characters and its own take on a world and aesthetic and theming. And I think particularly starting with Final Fantasy VII on the PlayStation, that was really the first title that I think took such a bold aesthetic choice. And we've talked about that score a lot on the podcast before, but everything about that game... Partly because it was possible with the graphics yeah, of and the I think. System. When most people think of the term Final Fantasy and even an RPG, so many of our heads go to that sort of, you know, wizards and warriors, dungeons and dragons, high fantasy uh, style and lore and world, something akin to Tolkien. But what's cool about the Final Fantasy series is over the years, they've explored so many different um, genres bordering on sci-fi and everything. And, you know, the the quality of the games is something that has been debated over the years. A lot of people believe that the Final Fantasy games have really dropped off in quality since sort of the Well, and speaking of that, I, I do know that there is some controversies or just some criticisms of this as a game. Uh, from what I've heard, people really like it as a soundtrack, though, and, and I would agree with that. 
before we dive in, the one thing I want to say about this score that I really was excited to hear was quite a bit of real performance. There's some cool guitar in this score. There's some strings. There's some drums. There's just a lot of really cool touches uh, that I wasn't necessarily expecting. Uh, Will, how about that plan? That was Crystalline Chill, composed by Yoko Shimomura. Did you like how she was using some of those prelude notes in there? Yeah. So we have to mention... Uh, Nobuo Uematsu, who was the original Final Fantasy composer for the first title back on the NES or the Famicom. And he really was, uh, he's very much like what Koji Kondo is to the Zelda or Mario series. He's the godfather of this franchise and has been involved in almost every single one of the titles. And the first six games he scored uh, entirely by himself. So his influence looms very large. And I mean, even beyond, you know, Final Fantasy VII is one of the most acclaimed video game soundtracks and has some of his, a lot of people's favorite Uematsu tracks. But what's cool is the the clever ways that other composers, many of which that we've celebrated, you know, like Naoshi Mizuta, and, you know, today we'll talk about with Yoko Shimomura, is that the way that they interpret Uematsu's music in the style of the world they create for this game. And what I loved about that crystalline chill track, a lot of people might recognize that ascending arpeggio as being the prelude of, you know, Final Fantasy, but she takes it in such a different direction, not only with the groove, but the production. A very fresh piece of music. It works for me. Even if you listen to this, yeah, as a piece of music by itself and aren't acquainted with that Final Fantasy prelude, I still think this piece has a nice little misdirect that it starts off as as a very sort of calming, atmospheric, more filmic background music track. And then when the sort of drum groove comes in, it it takes you into a different hybrid genre, which I think I always love when music can have that sort of twist. There's so much great music we have to get to today, and this shouldn't be a surprise, but it's a massive score. We didn't have time to play 90% of it. So this is the stuff that I was particularly uh, excited by when I listen to the score. We're going to move on to Hammerhead, which is one of the many tracks that features some really delightful performance. This one, I think, is a little on the silly side, but it's a nice piece. So let's get into it. Hammerhead from Final Fantasy XV. Uh, very quickly here, this game first came out in 2016, and then again it was re-released in 2018. Uh, composed by Yoko Shimomura, let's take a listen to Hammerhead. <laughs> Thank you. 
You guys are listening to Hammerhead from Final Fantasy XV. This is composed by Yoko Shimomura. It's a it's a great piece of music, and when I heard this, it's early on in the score, if I remember correctly. It really made me feel like I was going to be in good hands on this experience, uh, not just with the production and the fact that they got the budget for a lot of this good performance, but the composition. Uh, it's a really inspired piece of music. When the drums, way later on in the track, there's like a uh, drum kit and electric guitar that takes over. But before that, really good instrumentation, really pleasing, nice melody, good stuff. I love that the whole production and everything, it, it really has this sort of alt-rock sound that's very... Kind of late 90s 2000s, yeah. late 90s, mm-hmm. yeah. But it's so cool hearing Yoko Shimomura go for that because I so associate her with the very 80s fusiony melodic power pop sound of Street Fighter 2 though she really hasn't returned to that particular style mm-hmm. very often and what I think is so cool about something like Street Fighter 2 is that it sort of just becomes part of the Capcom ether uh, but when I think a lot of people think of Yoko Shimomura they do think of her, her really beautiful compositions in games like Kingdom Hearts and the more recent Final Fantasy games but what's so fun about this soundtrack is right off the bat we're just showcasing her incredible versatility especially for people who are acquainted with much of her other work but she is someone like another very famous and talented Yoko Yoko Kano who is just so incredibly versatile she can write amazing melodies she can write for the orchestra in an incredibly commanding way she can score mammoth soundtracks and she's um, insanely prolific but has a, a real command of other types of popular and commercial music you know jazz rock um, it, it it really seems like there's um, next to nothing that Yoko Shimomura can't do. Dude, I mean, in this one score, I mean, you are going to be in for a treat. If you're excited by her variety, just wait. There's so much. And this is a good example. Moving from Hammerhead to Stand Your Ground, one of my favorites on the score. And one disclaimer, which we make all the time, we're just talking about the music today. I don't know the context of this music, but I would basically bet my life that this is a battle theme. (laughs) Let's all enjoy it. It's so good. Stand your ground from 15.
guys are listening to Stand Your Ground, an outstanding piece of music, so exciting. This is composed by Yoko Shimomura. Now, there are some additional composers, I believe, that did some tracks. I don't know if any of what we're playing today might fall under them. Obviously, she had a talented team working with her when it comes to arranging and performing and eventually, you know, mixing and stuff like that. So it was definitely a team effort uh, led by Miss Jimamora, and she did an outstanding job. This is such an exciting piece of music. I love the rock elements. There's actually quite subtle uh, distorted rhythm guitar that's on this track, but you kind of, Will was saying, uh, you kind of feel it more than hear it. And I really love that. I mean, there's not bombastic electric bass or bombastic drum kit. I mean, it's it's a very subtle and tasteful way to combine rock and uh, orchestral. And yeah, it's, it's just a great piece of music at the end of the day. Yeah, it has a, it has a thoughtful quality. It, it really seems like the balance of everything is meant to reflect how these elements would carry in a real acoustic space. That, well, Will, you know, if you had amplified guitar with a full orchestra, mm-hmm. they would kind of merge into this one soup, where I feel like for a long period of time, a lot of orchestral hybrid scores had this really false sound where the, the all the orchestral elements were oftentimes recorded separately, and so they um, they they already had an authentic quality, but then they're so over compressed and limited that yeah. they're kind of put into the rock, you know, box, I guess. But what I like about this is it reminds me a little bit more of you know all the praise that we've heaped on Princess Connect. Uh, it feels like yeah, kind of that's, more of that ilk. That's, that's what I thought when I heard this track. And, Will, I got to say, this is a good example of one of the things I experienced is I'm hearing music that, from a compositional point of view and like how it's constructed, reminds me of classic 16-bit music. This melody right. is so strong, so clear. The rhythmic ideas of this piece dun, 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 feels like something we would hear on the SNES. And so yeah. it feels like classic video game music, but it's performed by... This wonderful ensemble. Yeah, it's kind of, um, yeah, older era film music where things were very melodic and uh, earnest and action music took you to these soaring emotional heights, yet mixed with this kind of rock energy. But yeah, it's fun to hear that realized. The other thing that I want to call out is oftentimes I feel like when orchestra music is written to be like rock music, it seems that the different groups of the orchestras rarely have very much interesting stuff to do. Sometimes there's a lot of held, you know, whole notes. Sometimes there's just kind of like, there's a lot of rhythmic predictable repeated patterns. Yeah. But so much rhythmic excitement, particularly I love all the syncopated stabs. I like that there's this track has a nice balance of there's moments of melody, but there's moments where it, it does feel more functional and score and it's developed and it's not it's a great it's balance not of just that. a tune sitting on a boring bed of accompanying rock patterns yeah and also there's a lot of you know counter melodies and counterpoint happening it's i think it does a great balance of fitting kind of the somewhat cliche and expected rhythmic and energy demands that you expect from a battle piece in an rpg but it's an actually interesting piece of music for the orchestra and i think it elicits a great performance out of these musicians because you know shimamura gave them something rich to play it yeah isn't it's so just true so stock and we talked about the the variety and the diversity and let's keep that going we're going to move from one of the most exciting tracks on the day to one of the most relaxing and you would know that just from the title it's relax and reflect 
composed by Yoko Shimomura. Some other great performance on this track. Let's enjoy. guys are listening to relax and reflect good advice for all of us this is composed by yoko shimamura from final fantasy 15 and what i heard when i was listening to the score and i think a big factor is the fact that this music was able to be performed by human beings <laughs> multiple talented players i heard a level of excitement and energy in shimamura's writing that was a step above what I expected. I think this score sees Shimomura especially spirited in her writing, and I think it's partly because when you know that you're gonna have real players coming into the studio to lay it down, you can't help but add a little bit more energy to stuff. I think, yeah, that's definitely a good point. What's interesting about this track is it feels like a composed solo. Yeah, absolutely. It's like it, Very it's jazzy. so spot on in terms of the style, the chord voicings, the instrumentation. Yet the melody is so noty and wandering. It feels it like it kind of feels like it just starts right out of the gate with the solo, and so it does blur the line between what is improvised and what isn't, which I think is a fantastic technique that. We don't hear a lot in games. A piece of music, because if you think about it, the function of so much game music is to put you in a specific atmosphere, to give you a mood. And, you know, we celebrate all the time the advantage of having a really strong melodic theme. And, you know, Yoko Shimomura is one of the greatest melodists in game music. So yeah. we know she can compose a really simple and effective tune. I think what she's choosing to do here is to make music that. Much like, you know, we talk about like it's elevator fanciful. music or background music. I think music. it's supposed to be very fancy and, and uh, kind of this sophistication. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I also think it sort of works as like just this sort of drapery in the background. Yes. Like it, you don't, there's no part of it that background feels music. like loopable or catchy. It's not necessarily going for that. It's more about just immersing you in an atmosphere. And there are a lot of ways to do that. You know, there's so much video game music that is a melodic intentionally for that reason, because they don't want you to necessarily notice when the music is starting up again. They want a really long form and they want a piece that can just naturally evolve. But mm -hmm. what I think is cool about this is, 
you know, that type of game music really isn't my favorite to listen to because to me it feels like a bit of a cop-out. It's just kind of removing elements to not make the music in the foreground. But this is such foreground music. I mean, it's incredibly confident. It's very robust. It's flourishy. But it's it's not, it's not like tuneful. So a I thought it was an interesting music. approach has this quality where you could and this is a good example this track relax and reflect where it's it's music that's perfect for the background it's not going to distract from everything else you're experiencing but if you do choose to really focus on it and listen to it it's fantastically crafted like there's a lot to enjoy just in the music itself you know i didn't play this game and i had such a great time listening to this track yeah so much well, and it gives you, there is a more authentic feeling, you know, when you hear an ensemble like this and sort of this Latin piece like this, hearing something that's a little bit more nimble and this, you know, beautiful guitar solo, it, I think it's actually more accurate to the kind of music this is sending up. It's less common to have something that's just pure singable melody. Well... There's definitely no shortage of sequenced tracks on the score, but it just so happens that the stuff that we picked, the next track we're moving to, has some additional great performance on it. And it's such a change of pace when it comes to the genre. This is called Urban Chrome, and it's very funky, very quirky. I like this track a lot. Let's check it out. Very funky, very 80s. Yes, it's cheesy, but it's having such a good time. This is Urban Chrome from 15. Uh, a standout for me. Uh, that shouldn't be surprising anyone who knows my musical taste and what I'm into. Of course I'm going to put Urban Chrome on this playlist. I don't know if others may have skipped it. I don't know if it's a particularly popular track. Uh, but man, it was such a fun change of pace. It, it's so cool to hear Yoko do <laughs> to do this kind of music. It's not what I expect from her this day and age. Uh, and so there were a lot of tracks like this where I was like, oh man, it's such a treat to get this kind of music from her. I mean, and this is a kind of style that could really transcend to a lot of different types of games. This would be great in a racing game. Yeah. This would be great in a dance game. Like there's, there's a lot of things where this sort of funk fusion style would be very appropriate, mm -hmm. but that's interesting. I want to focus on something you said, you know, it's, it's very cheesy. And I think that's something that, especially to people in the States, I think we're so, 
hypersensitive, I would say, to something being cliche or corny. And some of that, you know, there's there's a reason why. I'm not saying that there that that's not a useful measurement for a piece of music. But I guess what I would say is, to me, calling something cheesy really has no bearing to the amount of effort, time, craftsmanship, authenticity that goes into a piece of art. Yeah, it's almost like a different style that you can choose to go for. Well, in, and in I, I think it's like, from my experience, it's a lot easier to make music that isn't cheesy than it is to make music that is cheesy. Because oftentimes what we find or, cheesy... Or cheesy but quality. But what we find cheesy is something that's oversaturated with a lot of uh, easygoing, positive emotions. And some, and I think for a lot of us, we're used to hearing pop music and considering a lot of that stuff cheesy. But part of what makes that effective is that it's all the fat has been burned off of it. And the melodies yeah. are like as good as they can be. And the grooves hit as hard as they can. And something like this, it's like the interaction between the drums and bass. That's something that's very difficult to replicate. And it would, in order to write in that style, you'd either have to get incredible musicians to teach you all of the subtleties of that, or you'd have to listen and devote a lot of time to studying a lot of funk music to be able to replicate that accurately. So to me, it's just so dismissive when someone listens to something like this that the average listener that might hear something like this and say it's cheesy, it's cheesy, but dot, dot, dot. It's a lot more. Yes. Too. So <laughs> we've already explored a lot of different styles and sides of 15 and of Shimamura's music, but one that should not be surprising, and there's plenty representation today, is the deeply emotional, maybe even at times tragic, serious side. Let's explore that a little bit with this next track. It's called Love Lost. Here we go. You guys are listening to Love Lost, a beautiful piece of music from Final Fantasy 15. We've done a lot of Final Fantasy spotlights, and you have to give credit to this series. There's been so many fantastic soundtracks, and that's one of the reasons why. I mean, what other series have we done this many spotlights on? And they're all so different, and this game definitely continues that. 
This is a beautiful piece of music that actually goes on quite an emotional journey. I mean, at the start of it, it seems very optimistic. And then all of a sudden, the, the higher range violin comes in and it gets really sad. There's a lot of emotion packed into this piece. I think it's safe to say at this point, with all of the Final Fantasy games, I would feel confident saying that the best aspect of the series overall is the music. Because the music... I've heard other even, people say that too. Even in the games that are considered pretty universally low quality, there's... The music's fantastic. There's always <laughs> great music. You know, there's yeah. some Final Fantasy scores that are less interesting than others. There's that period of time on the PlayStation where, you know, there's very little being recorded with full orchestras and you have that kind of uncanny valley sound. But that really says nothing about the merit of the compositions themselves. And that's also right. back when Uematsu was writing a lot larger the percentage of the music. And so I, I do think that... This is a very special series, and I think composers that work on Final Fantasy games are are aware of that. And I think sometimes the, oh, there's a legacy, the level of craft, sure. detail, and emotion that they put into their work is a testament to Nobuo Uematsu, but to the Final Fantasy series consistently stellar body really, of not musical just, output. Yeah, and not just Oimatsu, all the people to come after, too. I mean, yeah. everyone's really taking it seriously. Well, we're going to go back to the chill vibes, uh, a little bit more of the Latin acoustic on the beach vibes. I, I want to say we've played this track on the podcast before because it was so familiar when it came up, but it's outstanding. One of my favorite melodies on the score, and I want to say that it comes back in a couple other pieces, too. It's called Golden Quay, composed by Yoko here we go. listening to golden quay one of my favorites definitely in my top five from this whole score and i looked back and we did share this on a show and tell a few years ago it's so good i love the melody it's actually kind of a unique melody some of the turns and some of the choices are not what i expected when i first listened um, but they're all great choices it, there was nothing that was jarring it was it was surprising music but also very relaxing and comfortable Outstanding. I think this is absolutely perfect. Uh, this is my favorite thing I've heard so far today. It's just like, 
It's oh, phenomenal. Man, it's like this is Koji Kondo levels of a great melody. I mean, it's just hitting yeah, these it is. pure chord this tones, feels like these Mario pure music. rhythms, but supported by such rich, gorgeous jazz harmony that's that's dark and twisted and passionate and it's like it's sunshiny, it's melancholy, it's all of it. It's just it's so much of what I love about you know the the era of songwriting where so many of the great jazz standards come from where it has that sort of bittersweet melancholy inherently where there's something cheery about it but there's something forlorn about it as well and i think so many japanese composers are just really excellent at writing music like that but that like so incredible melodic and compositional chops aside this is exceptionally well produced well, and engineered well, i mean one thing we do have to say too is uh you can tell this is a dynamic piece where something must happen where you go to a different area and the arrangement changes because it goes from that very sparse what feels like to me like on the beach vibe to more of a fleshed out ensemble with uh, a really tasteful, you know, jazz drum kit eventually, uh, upright bass. So, like, other elements come in later, and they present it perfectly on the soundtrack. Um, sometimes when you have dynamic music, and maybe that's not the case, maybe there are just two different parts uh, that are separated in the experience, but at least how they presented this theme on the score, I loved it, because just when you got used to it, then the ensemble grew. So yeah. that was a cool touch. Well, and it's just also showcasing Yoko Shimomura's incredible melodic chops. And it's funny, we talked about that Relax and Reflect track being composed like a solo, or maybe, I don't know the degree to which it actually features improvisation. But what's interesting about this is I think because it's dynamic, it's such a great candidate for something that's incredibly catchy and a melody that sticks in your head. Because that means that as the instrumentation changes, you're rooted to the blood, the force of that melody that tune carries through regardless of how the ensemble yeah. changes around you and there's such a power in that but also i think melody is the most powerful tool in the composer's belt when it comes to manipulating emotions because a tune like this feels or almost naive with and the simple audience. in places but the harmony makes it darker and then there are places where the harmony feels expected and then we get this interesting <laughs> little chromatic note in the melody and it's always this great little dance well guys i don't know anything about golden quay but i gotta say that's an area i want to visit uh that's a tough one to follow but we're gonna try our best here with a, a nice change of pace what lies beneath which to my knowledge i think i saw on youtube that this is a dungeon theme from 15 here we go
You guys are listening to What Lies Beneath. It's from Final Fantasy XV, uh, and it's a really effective, creepy, ominous piece of music. Whether it's a dungeon area or a temple or a cave or anything like that, I mean, it's, it's really, really effective. I, I've talked about this before. Every once in a while, you hear a track like this uh, that, to me, goes above and beyond the assignment because, really, at the end of the day, this needs to be creepy and ominous uh, but not obnoxious, and that's kind of it. Um, but this track you can listen to as a piece of music and it's surprisingly engaging. Like there's a lot to actually listen out for just as a piece of music. So I think it actually goes beyond the scope of what it was originally intended. And that's just, you have to speak to the quality of a composer like Yoko Shimomura who can do that. I also think there's, you know, the, the cultural differences between the way media is scored in Japan versus the U.S., show a lot about composer intention because I think something like this would probably be considered cheesy or cliche in the West of like using pipe organ and having this sort of classical minor thing is like yeah it's too on the nose but I feel like again it's it's such an anti-intellectual argument because there's an infinite number of ways to accomplish those surface level elements and i to me what yoko is doing here is so painful and tragic and heartbreaking and sincere well it has it has all those elements of any good modern temple theme or dungeon theme but i don't know what it is but in my experience it's so much more engaging than 90 percent of the counterparts that i hear i hear a lot of tracks like this when i'm going through different researching episodes and stuff and trying to find stuff and there's a lot of stuff that's super effective for that type of a location and i'm sure if i was playing the game i would be engrossed in it but there's nothing that jumps out at me musically and there's not really anything like oh i want to share this on the podcast you know whereas listening to track like what lies within like there's a reason why this track made the playlist you know among these other great tunes there was something that i thought was really appealing about it yeah i mean it has a very like mozartian quality to it it's it's very classical and even the phrasing of the strings yeah it's a very strong piece a lot of confidence um yeah it's let's see what we got next we're gonna move on to veiled in black from 15 here we go guys are listening to veiled in black very epic this is another one that to me screams battle <laughs> music 
This is composed, I believe, by Yoko Shimamura. As I said before, there may be a couple tracks on here that could have been composed by some of those additional people that I think helped out here and there. Um, but I'm not positive on any of that specific crediting. This one feels to me um, kind of like a virtual instrument drum kit, which takes away a little bit of the excitement. If I heard, uh, and I'm pretty sure this, yeah, it doesn't sound like real drums here. If I would have heard a real drum kit on this track, I feel like I would have given it a whole letter grade higher. Like, it's a B to me, and it could have been an A. (laughs) I can appreciate that. I mean, and that's the thing is, like, music has a long history of you know it's meant to be played and interpreted by performers i think it's completely valid and reasonable for us to i think there's some other real respond more to a piece of music that has that extra layer and i mean i don't want to get to the point where not only samples but uh the entire aspect of music making is entirely done within a computer by one person that having that human touch having that uh aspect of interpretation too i mean unless uh i think will you'll make an exception for yourself doing like a family tracker album that's that's totally cool right well i think it's different when you're making that with also like a real actually dude that's a cool idea what if you did an album that was only Tracker instruments mixed with, like, live cello. But, I mean, I guess electronic music is different because that's music yeah. that's not performed by anyone. Yeah, this is, this is trying it's to different be when it's an acoustic like, drum kit, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's the concept of the uncanny valley. Something that's clearly a machine trying to be human will see as cute, but something that's almost human but not quite feels more disturbing to us (laughs) and i think in this case it's not that it's scary it just ends up being a little bit less appealing than it could be but i mean also it's it's like that's because we're composers and we do this stuff i think a lot of people aren't necessarily plugged in or able to tell the difference between overall the track is uh the production is really well done and there might be some real elements in some of the other instruments and overall i mean the track sounds really good it's mixed really well it's great um and that's what i'll say about the whole score is there's opportunities where we have real performance there's opportunities when it's it's just sequenced music but all of it sounds really good and there is a cohesive quality to the whole score and one last thing i wanted to say is that i happened to think the overall level of quality was a lot more consistent than 14. Um, 14, it seemed like it was a lot harder to do this episode because I think that one, if I'm not mistaken, had so many different like versions of the game and like different versions of the soundtrack and and stuff like that. And so uh, to me, it just felt like this experience of me listening to 15 was a little bit more consistent. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely the impression that I'm getting so far but uh yeah again just a testament to shimamura's incredible versatility uh and uh, she can make music that uh, game music at the end of the day has to be functional it has to fit mm-hmm. its role in the game and she's always been a master at that but she's also an incredible composer with command in so many different styles and she has such a long track record of contributing music to some of the most important series in all of gaming uh, it's it's so inspiring that someone like that not only is still working, but she's not resting on her laurels. She's not, you know, coming yeah. in and sipping coffee and throwing down one, you know, melody track and then oh, that's enough for me for this game. You know, she's still writing at a highly prolific level. 
Uh, and that's very inspiring to uh, any of us who are maybe at an earlier stage in our musical development or to anyone who totally has ambition agree. to do more of this, that it's like, even when you yeah, the get soundtrack is success, inspiring you know, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like she's someone who's always challenging herself. My, what's interesting to me about Yoko Shimomura is I feel like she's someone who is more prolific than she is consistent. Like there are definitely soundtracks of hers that I'm less enthralled by and mm-hmm. even soundtracks of hers that I really like there's rarely like in a hundred percent, you know, success rate from my perspective musically. Uh, but yeah. again, you have to really admire the the work ethic that someone like this has of being able to write all that music. And the fact is, is it's like when it's good, it's as good as anything it's anybody stellar. else can do. Yeah, and there are examples of that on the playlist, such as what we're moving to this week's track of the week. It was hard for me to decide. Uh, It was kind of tied with a lot of things. I think this one makes sense. It's one of maybe four melodies um, that felt like main melodies to the score, ones that I heard, you know, come back multiple times. Um, We've played it before on the podcast. It's incredible. Will loved it then. I'm sure he'll love it today. Will, you can go ahead and try to pronounce this particular piece of music. This is Valsa di Fantastica, meaning Fantastic Waltz. very big fan of this piece and of the score final fantasy 15 here's one gauge that i was kind of using in my head and thinking about it if i was going to make an episode this would be really hard a playlist of some of the best music across the entire series from final fantasy 1 to 15 this track might be on that playlist it's that good it's a classic piece of music already for me it feels that way absolutely love this yeah i very much agree it has a it's like a great blend between uh classical and game music this is a melody and the way it's both melodically constructed and harmonized it feels like something that would have been at home on the nes or the super nintendo or really at any point along the history of video game development yet i think most of us will be able to hear the sort of classical influences both in the arrangement orchestration and really any time a a sort of waltz in this style is utilized in games Mm -hmm. it's 
almost always to evoke a different period or something slightly more formal. You know, there's a lot of like dancing, yeah. but like respectable nobility connotations that we have with a waltz and even naming it, you know, Valsa di Fantastica is meant to kind of evoke that, you know, European sentiment that we have with a lot of classical music. Uh, but what's so cool about this is it still feels like it's filmic, it's song-like, it, it belongs in our current era. This this is different than something like, you know, Rosalina's Comet Observatory, where it's like, that sounds like it could actually <laughs> yes. be Johann Strauss. And this feels like an epic movie waltz. And it, it that B section with the violin that gets into the sort of so pulling at your heartstrings, it's unmistakably Japanese. And what I love about it is just right off the bat, this sort of minor key piece with melody and harmony in thirds, it takes me back to Street Fighter, like in a different rhythmic scheme. I know what you mean. You know, can't you picture? You know, you could very easily rhythmically reinterpret this into a Capcom piece. And that's what I just love so much about like that. This is the same Yoko, you know, from back then. It is a series classic. And this is we're moving on to another one of those melodies that I was talking about. One of those really important melodies to the game. I don't know the context. All I know is this feels very important. And I hear this melody a lot in the score. It's a track called Apocalyptus Noctis. And what is interesting about this track is that main melody I'm referring to takes about 25 to 30 seconds before it comes in. But when it does come in, it seems to me like it's Shimamura trying to go for a Western style. And Will, I think you're going to get a kick out of it. It seems, and maybe that's just coincidental, but it seems like her trying to do like a Hans Zimmer thing or like a Gladiator or Pirates of the Caribbean, something like that. It definitely doesn't scream Japanese to me, which I found very interesting. Uh, even something like Skyrim or, or like another Western composed video game series. So I found that interesting. Let's take a listen to Apocalyptus Noctis. You guys are listening to Apocalyptus Noctis from 15, composed by Yoko Shimomura, and it's definitely an epic 
Very important piece of music, whether it's a boss battle, I'm not sure what is going on here, but it's super, super important to this experience, I can guarantee that. It's a, it's a very well-done piece of music, I mean, very epic, the arrangement, the performance, the orchestration. It's a strong melody. To me, it was a little bit kind of maybe cliche or just reminiscent of so many other game and, and film melodies right. uh, that this one didn't have as much of its own identity to me personally that's a little bit of a, um, a kind yeah. of like a nitpicky gripe definitely I mean I think this this melody is very evocative of other things um, and I think the like whole Skyrim arrangement is but it's also so well executed I mean in the yeah, mixture it's hard to of fault it yeah, the mixture of this sort of end-of-the-world choral stabs that <laughs> do belong in this series. I mean, yeah. so many in classic track. moments. Yeah, uh, but also, you know, you mentioned you know, Zimmer and Western film music, and I think definitely when the sort of hybrid sound of the percussion with the orchestra comes in, I get that sensibility, but also harmonically, it still feels so Japanese to me. And the that kind is of the use of You're the right. orchestra, using piccolo doubling in those big high moments and kind of borrowed chords that are chromatic. And that's not a thing that I think most of us are used to hearing in Western yeah. film music. And I feel like so much Western media music has gotten so minimal to the point of like, if anything, you know, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, I mean, that's got to be what, like 15 to 20 years old at this point. So it's like that's yeah. no longer the like modern Not sound, at all. Yeah. You know? No, I mean, there's a lot of people that uh, if this was for a Western game, they'd be like, okay, this is maybe too much. I, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to know. This if is anything, it almost sounds, as bombastic as you can get. It reminds me a little bit of kind of some of the more action-oriented cues in like Ori. Uh, because of the mixture hmm. of voice, orchestra, and then piano being so prominent, but that it's this sort of action-y piece that actually kind of has an emotional chord progression. It isn't just about like this sort of masculine, aggressive energy. There's a sadness and melancholy to it, despite being so bombastic. And that's something that well, I do really appreciate about it. Yeah, we're going to move on to a track that I adore. I was so enchanted by this track. Really strong piece of music. It's called Melancholia. Let's take a listen. You guys are listening to Melancholia, and that piano arpeggio is a knockout. Just hit me in my heart. 
This is a beautiful piece of music. I love how it starts so sparse with acoustic guitar, a great choice on the left, and then the piano on the right. We have upright that comes in, probably like a bunch of, you know, uh, uprights on a stage maybe, and then you have some of the other string elements that come in. It expands as the piece goes on, and it's a simple piece of music. Uh, that's kind of textural and there is a melody but the melody is so simple and so slow which is perfect because it lays so comfortably atop that arpeggio just an absolutely amazing piece of music well and for me the the catchiest element is that arpeggio it, it is melodic absolutely. in its construction because it isn't just a simple sequence it's almost that's a melody in verbatim. And, of and yeah i think sometimes the most effective melodies are ones that are just a couple notes shy of being a verbatim sequence. And I think when we, you know, a sequence, we've talked about this before, but it's any time a musical idea is repeated strictly in a different area in the scale. So if you have ya da 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 da, a sequence would then be going ya da 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 da, and you could continue that ya da 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 da. And if you carry that idea on too far, eventually it stops sounding melodic at all. And it just feels, at worst, it can sound like an etude or like a vocal warm-up. Um, right. But oftentimes it's used in like Baroque music or so much classical music as sort of an interstitial transition between musical ideas. It's meant to be a relief from, you know, having focused attention to counterpoint or anything. But sometimes my favorite melodies are things where it's almost an exact repeating of an idea, yet they change yeah. one note or where it went, you know, note one, note two, note three. Now it's note two, note one, note three. And it's like those slight changes give it just enough detail that your ear and your mind is still kind of I engaged totally know what with you it, mean. but it feels so satisfying and inevitable at the same time. That's one of my favorites of the day. And we're going to something so different. The energy and some of these later tracks are, is kind of overwhelming how epic they are, they are. This is a track called NVIDIA. Here we go. listening to NVIDIA. It's composed by Shimamura. This one I had an interesting reaction to. It kind of reminded me of the Ace Combat series. Like, I feel like you could put this in one of those games. Uh, 
it's very exciting, very epic. I like the incorporation of the drum kit here. It works for me more than the last time that I heard that. Um, yeah, I will say that there was a bit of a sensory overload that I experienced uh, with some of these really epic tracks where, I, I mean, overall, I prefer the calmer ones on the score. My favorite tracks are the calmer ones. I mean, I think that um, uh, Valse di Fantastica is like maybe as epic as I would ever want to get because, I don't know, something about the calmer ones, maybe it was just that I enjoyed the melodies more, just more pleasing to listen to. This this is a track that it's very well done, but I don't know if I necessarily enjoyed listening to it. I, I hear what you're saying, and I think dynamicism can be an important part of music for a lot of us where, you know, we like a piece of music that has dynamic range, where it has quiet moments, loud moments, fast moments, slow moments, something to contrast against. And I do think, yeah, exactly. uh, you know, if you think of a soundtrack as almost like an album, and you want to have a nice variety, I think our playlist today does a good job of contrasting these higher energy tracks with lower energy tracks, and I think it is less taxing in this context. Well, until we get to this point, yeah, I will I will apologize because we we just happen to have some of these epic ones back to back, and that continues right now. I do think, though, and maybe that's just experiences that I'm having. There is a phenomenon that I also have when, when something is amped up and so supercharged to 11 it starts to feel a little less mature. It doesn't feel like it feels like it's more appealing to like everyone's inner 12 year old or 13 year old and that idea of epic and intergalactic importance. And I think while that is definitely useful and I mean, so much of all of the greatest music is music that's born out of that, you know, uncontrollable energy, but uh, yeah, I do. I do tend to agree that it's like this is almost like a piece of. It has the the energy of like heavy metal, but with the orchestra, and it's also just kind of a cliche sound. This is something that so many RPG games do of like this rock mixed with orchestra, mixed with choir. And it's maybe I'm just getting older, or I don't know. But t- for me, like this type of energy, just a dabble, do ya? A yeah. little bit goes a long way for me. Um. Uh, that being said, the tracks on our playlist are really, really well done. This next track is called Omnis Lacrima, and it's also very epic, but I'm going to try to really focus here and enjoy this. It's from Final Fantasy XV.
This is really outstanding. You guys are listening to Omnis Lacrima from 15. Will, I'm curious to get your take on this. Like, what does this remind you of? It feels like it reminds me of a lot of different types of music, a lot of different composers, but it's hard to put my finger on what exactly it is. It's, it's really well done. Yeah, I mean, I think it really reminds me of Final Fantasy, honestly. It makes me think of... Uh, Uematsu, I feel like, as the games went on, became more and more interested in exploring this, like, operatic, uh, biblical level of epicness. Yeah, biblical his, is right with this one. <laughs> yeah, in his tracks. And I think it's really cool. Uh, I mean, This feels I, like the end of the world, or maybe it's like there's one last hope to save the world. Yeah, it's it, it, very effective. I, I really like this track, how it starts without the rhythmic energy, but just that sense exactly. of fire, you know, and music, you know, con fuoco. It's just really... Uh, it, it feels overwhelming, and you can feel the heat and intensity harmonically in terms of everyone is at, like, a double or triple forte. Yeah, maybe uh, this is, like, a fire area And I like how it, it starts. It feels like a final battle or just a, the it most does, epic yeah. battle because starting in a with, volcano. with such a, um, you know, I just like how long it takes to develop. This is a piece that has a little bit more dynamicism than the last one, which is maybe why yeah. it's working for it's us. It's also long, a bit too. And, and again, I say this a lot, but we have to give a disclaimer. A lot of these tracks are very long and have a lot of really interesting things that come later in the track. And this is a track that has dynamic range. You know, you build to high oh, heights yeah. and come back down and, and build up again, which is really effective technique both in creating a, a loopable piece of music that feels like it has form and structure and uh, variety but also just in creating a, a, a functional piece of music that allows you to feel every moment in it as, as strongly as you can and I think when things get yeah. too monotonous you can start to become overworn, which is maybe what happens having all of these high energy pieces. <laughs> and maybe that happened with me, but luckily the rest of our playlist here, we have four more pieces, including the play out. We're bringing the energy down. We're coming back down to earth and we're going to come down just a little bit with this next one. Uh, it's called Noctis. We had, it's interesting. We had Apocalyptus Noctis. Now we just have Noctis. It's very beautiful, very emotional, composed by Yoko Shimomura. Here we go. You guys listening to Noctis by the wonderful Yoko Shimomura from 15, which is a really stellar score. And this is just a 
enchanting piece of music. It has a bit of a 90s quality <laughs> to me. It reminds me of some film music it's of, very, of that like decade. Forrest of Gump sweetness. with the, the melody yeah. and harmony and these a sixths to on the it. piano. Innocence yeah. to it, but obviously this track gets a little sadder than and it feels that like, theme would get. Yeah, it definitely reminds me of like Joe Hisaishi. Uh, yeah. And, you know, we, we use his name a lot because I think he's honestly probably one of the most popular Japanese film composers for Americans because I do think the Studio Ghibli films are really popular over here. And I think, sadly, a lot of uh, Japan cinema is not as widely embraced or known in the U.S. Right. So I think if we were more acquainted with Japanese films, we'd probably be... Uh, just more used to describing something like this is just yeah (laughs) Japanese film music and television music but you know I had a thought the other day which is that sometimes I'm actually glad that you know uh, hearing a piece of music like this is so special for me where yeah I've heard that composer and it isn't just Japan but uh, a lot of because I made a lot of friends who are from Asia and I've heard from a lot of them that like, oh yeah, this sort of style, this sort of schmaltzy, melodic piano and orchestra, mm. it's just so ubiquitous. It's really popular. Huh. This kind of stuff is on the radio. It's in movies. Doesn't that so sound great? I think a lot of people <laughs> are just used to it. It's kind of like, you know, They're you think of the great it, yeah. era of big band jazz where it's like now to hear any of those ensembles, people would lose their minds to hear those musicians. But back then it was just, they just were take so some used time to it. Apart. It was just music, and so <laughs> I do think that sometimes, yeah, it's nice to um, when something is special and it's in a context where it's like, yeah, you know, you put this in with sort of a by the books modern American video game score. I think this is going to stand out and seem so beautiful. But when you put this up against all the other heavy hitter Japanese game scores, it it might kind of fall into the mix of other things yeah that's interesting will so uh we have in the past actually played some music i think on two different episodes from final fantasy 15 episode ignis which is an expansion that was composed by yasunori mitsuda which has wonderful music i made the choice not to include that today i had a feeling uh james who suggested this episode uh shout out to james thanks for your support i had a feeling uh, he wanted us to focus more on the mainline 15 soundtrack but i did want to play one expansion piece and it's actually from episode prompto which i find out here that this piece was composed by naoshi mizuta which is so cool because we just focused on some of his music last week and I was blown away by this track. This is one of my favorites of the day, and I actually considered it for track of the week. That's how much I love it. Let's take a listen to Home Sweet Home from Final Fantasy XV Episode Prompto. Thank you. 
Holy crap, this is gorgeous. You guys are listening to Home, home Sweet Home. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of the music of Fire Emblem Awakening at certain points of the melody, but it is absolutely gorgeous. It's, oh god, it might be my favorite of the day. Definitely my second favorite, if not my favorite. It's from Final Fantasy XV Episode Prompto by Naoshi Mizuta, and it's so cool to hear how he's taking the reins uh, from Shimura and what she established in, uh, you know, the regular 15 game. And, wow, what he's doing here is just exquisite. Well, also, especially in context of last week's episode, I really do hear his jazz fusion chops in the way chords oh, yeah. are voiced, particularly as the piece develops, but such strong melodic phrases. And again, what I so love about Japanese so much spice. music, especially, you know, contemporary Japanese composers, is it's like they can write melodic, beautiful music that feels timeless, yet it feels like it could at the same time only be written today because the blend of classical jazz and contemporary harmony is just something that hasn't really existed in other points in history. And it's just this incredible balance. And I feel like music like this is written with so much heart and earnestness and authenticity that it's just... I agree, man. Yeah, it's really it's really a special thing. And I, yeah, I mean, being an American composer, I, I feel like it's something that I wish and would encourage, you know... I mean, those of you listening to this podcast probably already agree with me, but I just wish more Americans <laughs> yeah. could listen to something We've like already this indoctrinated and them. And realize that it's possible to write new music that sounds this heartfelt, this sentimental, And to draw this from rich. so many different things in one piece, yeah. So, And it doesn't feel quirky. It's not eclectic, necessarily. It all feels natural. It's like those kinds of jazz voicings sound as great in the string section as any, you know, string writing I've ever heard from a classical piece. And I think that's another thing that's kind of inspiring. We have to call it the cello solo and the oboe soloists are phenomenal. And there's been some oh great God. playing throughout this soundtrack, but this almost uh, puts everything we've heard today to shame. I know, man. Okay, so we have two more left today. We have this and then the playout. We're going to go back to Yoko. And this is a really charming, playful piece of music. It happens to be another waltz. She really was feeling the waltz. The waltz is on this score. It's Alticia. Here we go.
Well, there you go, folks. Just a little bit of a taste of <laughs> the wonderful music that Yoko Shimomura composed for Final Fantasy XV and got to hear a little taste of what Mizuta did for that uh, expansion. There's some other outstanding music that Mitsuda did for... And then and there's probably other expansions that I'm not aware of as well, but what an outstanding score. What an outstanding journey this was. I love the music on this episode. I love a lot of the other stuff we didn't have time for that I heard. It's just really consistent, really masterful stuff. Hats off to Shimamura-san. Yeah, absolutely. This was a delightful episode, and it's always incredible when we can celebrate one of this industry's titans. And, you know, Yoko Shimamura, she's earned her place in the Mount Rushmore of game composers. It's uh, true. She's, yeah, really, really... It, you can't... You can't overstate her importance and influence in this field, uh, and it's so cool to think that... You can't say enough adjectives, enough yeah. positive adjectives about her, right? This music was so special, though. I mean, I, I think it's a great... If this was the last score she ever got to write, it would be a fitting tribute to her entire body of work. Because when I, I think not, of... but yes. But when I think of... You know, it's like everything you love about Shimamura, you can find something in here. If you only like the Street Fighter stuff, there is some music in here that fits into that Capcom-y, jazz fusion, rock fusion vibe. If you only like Kingdom Hearts, you're in luck. There's plenty of music here that you're going to get that fit in yeah. that series. <laughs> but if you really like her work in, you know, Nintendo games like the Mario and Luigi titles, there's tracks like that Golden Quay that feel like they could have been written yeah, by Yeah, or Koji if you Kondo. like Mario music, you're going to be pleased too. Yeah. I and mean, this is so cool cuz I I've become a fan of the Final Fantasy series music just because I've listened to so much of it, and how could you not? But I didn't come into this podcast being a Final Fantasy fan, and so it feels like I'm a Mario fan who's who's listening to some of this stuff. And, like, yeah, I mean, any of those, like, Latin ones and jazzy, relaxing ones, I mean... God, some of these tracks felt like they could belong in like Mario Odyssey or something. So I, I really well, what's cool had a is I feel like with the score. there's got to be something about th- these Yokos, but both Shimamura and Yoko Kano, <laughs> I speak what's of them the in the same breath because they both have this quality where it seems like every time they work on a score, it's almost like they're trying to use it as an opportunity to create an entire resume that they could shop around. It's like, they're just so incredibly versatile and they just seem like the most, uh, incredibly talented people in this industry. Um, I just, well, definitely do not go anywhere. The playout is beautiful. It's called Luna, which is a perfect segue for me to say, I don't know if I've announced it on the podcast, but me and Joe got a new puppy very recently and her name is Luna. So how fitting is that and will is hopefully going to get to meet luna in person maybe in a few weeks so i know will you're looking forward to that she's so much fun uh i think that's about it enjoy this play out thanks yoko for all the wonderful music thanks all of our patrons and listeners for your support we hope everyone enjoyed this episode absolutely that's about it my name is carl brueggemann and i'm will brueggemann have a great week everybody peace out Thank you.